and turn to the book of 1 John. 1 John chapter 3. Guests, uh, we're glad that you guys are here. Uh, I am not the head pastor. Uh, pastor Bart is, is out, of, um, out of the country. He's uh, in Haiti with the team and they're coming back tonight. So our prayers are, are with them. Um, I, my name is Scott Shoup. I'm the youth pastor here at Fullness and um, blessed to, to get to uh, preach this morning. Um, we are in the middle of, of a series on, on 1 John, and if you've missed any of, any of the, the sermons, I highly recommend you go back and uh, get the CD or go on the, the Fullness website and uh, download it or go on iTunes and, and get it through podcasts because it's been a really good series. And uh, I don't have time to review the whole series, but uh, the series is called uh, Real Life, True Love, um, or True, True Life, Real Love. Um, and uh, basically, it's, it's on fellowship with God, and our fellowship with God affects our fellowship with each other. And we're going to see that theme come out again today. <clears throat> um, most of you know uh, that the big news in, in my family is uh, that Andy and me uh, are no longer a, a family of two. We're now a family of three. About three weeks ago, um, Elise Marie was born, and um, so I just wanted to thank um, Everyone who's, who's been bringing meals, um, that's been awesome. Um, we have felt so loved and blessed by our, our church family. So thank you very much uh, for that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been amazing. It's still surreal to me to, to think that, that I, I'm a father, that I'm a parent. Um, there's times when I've been driving down the, car, driving down the road in, in my car and hear the radio and someone will say something about parenting and I'm like, wait, I'm a parent. Um, it's, I still am getting used to it, um, but we're, we're noticing many things about, about Ellie, as we call her. Um, I really didn't know that, that something so small could expel so much poop, um, but, uh, um, but we're noticing, one of the things that we're noticing is that, is that she grows, um, that she is growing. She, it's hard to believe that she started out the size, I'm told, of basically a, a, the tip of a pencil, and grew to about nine pounds, five ounces, which my wife was very painfully aware of. Um, but now that she's born, she's continuing to grow. And uh, if, if she stopped growing, we would know that something was, was wrong with her. Um, we know that she is, she's supposed to grow. And as, if you've been reading through First John, you probably have noticed that something that John often refers to his readers as is children or little children. And so I think that one of the implications there is that as children, we are expected to grow uh, much as, as a baby, as a child grows. And there's obviously many things that the Bible says about how we can grow in grace and love, which is the title of today's message, Growing in Grace and Love. Um, but I think the passage of 1 John 3, 1 through 10, um, gives us some, some ways that we can grow in grace and in love. And there'll be a little bit of, of overlap from, from last week since um, Pastor Bart ended up going into chapter 3, but I, I, I don't think it will be too redundant. Um, and actually, it's, it really is fitting with John because John keeps repeating himself and going back to the same themes. Um, but if I could kind of summarize uh, the message today in one sentence, kind of a one sentence, big idea of what hopefully um, trying to convey is that knowing who you are and where you are headed will affect how you live here and now. Knowing who you are and where you are headed will affect how you live 
here and now. And hopefully we'll see that fleshed out today. So, point number one on growing in grace and love is be captivated by the Father's love. Be captivated by the Father's love. 1 John 3, verse 1, John writes, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that, we, is that it did not know Him. John says here, see. <clears throat> and some of the older translations say, behold. But that's not a, a casual, just a, a casual glance. Like you glance at something and then you, you move on with your eyes. It's, it's more the idea of, of kind of a, a staring, a, a, a fixed focus on something, um, a being captivated by something. And John is saying we should be captivated by the Father's love. Uh, a few years ago, I came across a question um, in, in a book that I was reading, and it really um, kind of revolutionized, really, my way I think about God. And uh, so I've asked this question a couple of times when I've spoken in front of people. actually asked it uh, to our youth group last year uh, when we were talking about, about who is God. And uh, it's the question, what do you think God was doing before he created the world? What do you think God was doing before he created the world? Some people may think, well, he was creating hell for people who come up with questions like that. Um, but I think it's a, a very thought-provoking question. Um, and another way to, to ask it is, who was God before he created the world? Going back in history, before Jesus came, before the Old Testament, before the nation of Israel, before he created the, the mountains and the, the seas and the animals and, and humans. Who was God? What was God doing before he created the world? Was he lonely? Was he bored? I think that the answer to that question gives a huge indicator into who God really is. And scripture, I think, I think scripture would say that before God was creator, before God was lawgiver, before God was judge, because he is all of those things, God was a father. There has never been a time when God was, has not, from all of eternity, been a father. And the reason why is because he's always had a son. Jesus is called the eternal son. So there has never been a time when God was not a father. So, yes, he is absolutely creator. Yes, he is absolutely lawgiver, judge, so many other things. But fundamentally, God's character, God's nature is a father. So the question, one question today is how, how do you, when you think about God, what do you think? See, A.W. Tozer says what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So when you think about God, do you think primarily creator, maybe kind of a distant Creator, do you think primarily judge, waiting to, to punish wrong? Or do you think of him primarily as father? Um, theologian J.I. Packer says in his book, uh, Knowing God, he says, If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and of having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, 
It means he does not understand Christianity very well at all. This thought of, of God becoming father has, is becoming more significant to me as of late, since obviously I've just become a father, and I actually think it's pretty, pretty cool that um, when Pastor Bart asked me to preach a few weeks ago, I didn't know what, what passage he was going to, I knew it was going to be in 1 John, but I didn't know what passage. Um, but then a couple of weeks ago, he said, I'm, I want you to preach on 1 John 3, 1 through, 1 through 10, the passage on see how great a love the Father has for us. And because uh, lately, there have been time, multiple times the last few weeks, I'd be driving in the car and listening to, to worship music about God as, as Father, and I would just would get emotional and just, just start tearing up, just thinking the amount of love that, that I have for this young, brand new life is but a minuscule picture of, of God's love for me as, as Father. And uh, the other day, I was, I was holding Ellie and talking to her like I try to do a lot. And, and I said, uh, Ellie, do, do you know why Daddy loves you? you know why I love you? And she looked and said, no, Daddy, why? Um, she's, she's very developed, but not quite that developed yet. Um, I, said, I said, Ellie, do you know why I love you? I said, it's not because of anything that you've done. It's because I'm your father. And that's how God views us. So Ellie, Ellie can't do anything really for herself. She, she can't feed herself. She can't take care of herself. She can't give me anything really that I lack. But I don't love her because of what she can give me. I love her because I'm her father. And we, we can't take care of ourselves spiritually. We certainly can't give God anything that he lacks. God, God needs nothing. But yet he loves us because he's our, he's our father. And God's fatherly love is an identity-defining love. It says that we are called children of God. It's an identity-defining love. There may be many things that, that you call yourself when people ask you, who are you? There may be many things that, people, that, that other people call you. But is your identity based ultimately on what, is, what does God call you? And I think it's interesting also, you know, this is, a, this is probably one of the most famous verses in 1 John. You know, most people probably know this verse. See how great a love the Father has given us. Um, but as I was reading through this passage, kind of trying to prepare, it almost seems like this verse is a little random to me and, and where it pops up in the, in the book. Because if you look at the, the larger passage of 1 John, John's talking to, he's talking about false teachers, He's talking about people who are bringing false messages into the, into the church. But then it's like he just, he breaks and he, he says something about that we're born of God. And then it's just like he breaks into this outflow of worship. See how great a love, be captivated by how great a love the Father has for us, that we should be called children of God. And I was kind of wondering, like, so why is, why is this verse here? Why is it in this passage on, on addressing false teachers? And I'm not sure, but I, I think that it could possibly, John could be saying, um, yes, be discerning. Discernment is, is very important. Be able to recognize false teaching and see how it doesn't line up with Scripture. But don't ever reach a place where the love of God is not captivating to you. Where it, it just becomes old and boring. John was old when he wrote this. And he just spontaneously, worship broke out as he was writing this, because he was captivated by the Father's love. 
Number two, stay confidently focused on your final destination. In growing in grace and love, not only should we be captivated by the Father's love, we have to stay confidently focused on our final destination. Verses 2 and 3. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies Himself as He is pure. Without an end goal, without a final destination in mind, people, people start wandering around aimlessly. Um, we're in the month of October, and we're in, we're in Alabama. And so I know that for the vast majority of people in Alabama, October means college football. Um, and I, I'll watch a little bit of college football here and there, but uh, many of you know that uh, I grew up, my, my dad is a college baseball coach. So for us, um, October... Uh, really meant fall baseball practice. Um, and I remember growing up from, I mean, from a young age, going to watch my dad's team practice. And it's, it's interesting for, for those who kind of like baseball, know baseball, maybe um, like coming to college baseball games, to come watch fall practice. Because every year, of course, there are new freshmen. There's new 18-year-olds who are fresh out of high school. And Always, every year, it seems like there's at least one, usually a few of the freshmen, who kind of have this deer in headlights look. And they're just, they're just kind of, they're running around on the field, but they don't really know what they're doing. Because um, suddenly, the, the, the pace of the game is, is so much faster than what they're used to in high school. The, the level of talent of the guys around them is so much better than what they're used to. Suddenly, they're hearing all these new lingos and terminology and philosophies and um, new goals are being thrown onto them, and so they're, they're trying to keep up with it all, but they're just overwhelmed. But then if you look at the, the veterans on the team, the guys who've been in the program for a few years, um, they, they know what they're doing. They, they know who they are. They know their role on the team. They know where the team is trying to, to head. They know how they're trying to get there. And I think that oftentimes... We view the Christian life kind of like those college freshmen trying to adjust to, to a new level of play. The pace of life is coming at us so fast and um, we, we be, become intimidated by, by the people around us and we have all of these goals in our lives. You know, if I ask you, what, what, what are some of your goals? You know, maybe it's to, to graduate, to, to get into college, to decide on a college, um, to, to decide on a major, to... Uh, get married, to get your kids out of the house and to college, um, to retire, which are all worthy goals. But John is saying that's not our final destination. It doesn't end when that goal is accomplished. We have something higher, something further out that we're supposed to be looking towards. Our ultimate goal, our ultimate final destination is when Christ returns and we literally see him as he is, and we become like him. That's our ultimate, our ultimate destination. Um, we have hope that our current status as children of God guarantees our future state of glorified bodies. Knowing who you are and where you're headed will affect how you live here and now. And by the way, I don't think that this means that, that we're to be obsessed with trying to figure out when Jesus is returning. But we're to be excited about the fact that 
He is returning. And John says, everyone who thus hopes in him, in Christ, purifies himself as he is pure. Notice, this is not a a passive view of the Christian life. This is not a, he says, those who hope, have this hope, they purify themselves. That's an active verb. So it's not a, it's not a view of saying, well, I'm just going to let go and let God sit back and just kind of coast and just wait around for, for Jesus to come back. It's, it's an active view of the Christian life. But, but John is not saying, um, notice he's not saying, purify yourself so you can go to heaven. We often like to flip it around in our way of thinking and say, that, well, that's, that's what we have to do. We have to purify ourselves so we can get to heaven. But no, John is saying, thus, thus everyone who thus hopes in Christ purifies himself. So he's saying, when, when you know who you are, when you know that God is your Father, when you know, when you are in relationship with God's Son, when you know your final destination, and that is your confident focus, it's going to lead to purity and holiness in this life. <clears throat> Before I move on to the, to the third point, I want to say this. Um, when I was talking about, about God as Father, um, I, I neglected to say, you know, we, we, we kind of throw that term around. Um, you know, God's, God's our Father. And we say, you know, have you ever heard someone say, um, you know, God's everyone's Father. We're all God's children. And in a vague, in a general sense, that's, that's true. We were all children of God. But really, John would say, he's going to say it in this passage, that really there's only two groups of people in the world. Um, and they're both children. They're children of someone. There's those who are children of God, who God is truly their father. And then there are those who are children of the devil. And that's actually not just John that says that, but, but Jesus says that in the Gospel of John. But the point is, you can only know God as Father. This God who has always from eternity been a Father, for that's his, that's his nature. You can only know God as Father if you are in relationship with the one who has eternally been His Son. You can only know God as Father when you are in relationship with the one who has always been His Son. He teaches us how to be a son, a, a daughter, of God. So knowing who you are and where you're headed will affect how you live here and now. And then John, John's third point is really just driving this same truth home. And he drives it home pretty hard. <clears throat> the third point is this. Don't believe those who say your actions don't matter. Don't believe those who say your actions don't matter. Verses 4 through 10 of John 3. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared, Jesus appeared, in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning, and no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning 
because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever practices righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So now John returns to kind of his, his larger point that he's making. He's, he's addressing false teachers, those who are trying to deceive the, the Christians here. And the basic message of, of the deceivers, of the false teachers, is, is this. And, and Pastor Bart's talked about this multiple times before in here. But basically their, their idea was, was this, that the spiritual is good and the physical is bad. So the spiritual realm is good, and the physical realm is, is bad. And you might think, well, that's, that's pretty abstract, and that doesn't really seem like it has much to do with you know, how I live my life. But it actually gets very practical very quickly, because this is what it seems that the false teachers were saying, is God can, can save you spiritually. God can do a work in you spiritually. He can put his seed in you spiritually, and... It doesn't really affect how you live physically, what you do with your, with your flesh, with your body, because the spiritual and the physical, they're not connected, because spiritual's good, physical's bad, so there's no connection between them. And then it seems like that they were also saying, likewise, you can live in sin, you can do whatever you want with your body, and it doesn't affect what's going on inside, because the spiritual is good, physical is bad. And they don't connect. And John is addressing that and he's saying that is not true. He's saying no. There is a connection. There is a very real connection between the physical and the spiritual. God created both. Jesus was both fully God and fully man. He was a combination of physical and spiritual like all of us. And that there is a connection between them. And John is is saying um, that, that what happens inside of you spiritually, it's going to come out in, in how you live physically. Now, th- there's been a lot of, throughout church history, a lot of confusion over this passage. This First John 3, 4 through 10. And people have gotten teachings from here saying, well, uh, John is saying a, a, a true Christian, a real Christian, they, they never sin. They reach this state of just perfect sinlessness. But if you, if you just go back like a, a page or two in John you'll see that that's, that's not what John is saying. Because um, John says, uh, in First in, in John 1, sorry, lost my place. First John 1, um, verse 8, he says, uh, you know, whoever says that he, that he uh, does not have, has no sin, he deceives himself. He's a liar. He, he's, he's not being honest with himself. And then in First John 2, verse 1, he says, my little children... I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, so it is possible to still sin, we have an advocate. And Pastor Bart preached about that several weeks ago. John is also not, he's not trying to to cause people to doubt their salvation. He's not trying to to put doubt inside of us because John's going to go on and write in chapter 5, later on in the book, he's going to say, I write these things to you so that you may know that you have eternal life. So he's not trying to put doubt in our minds. John is just saying, hey, be on guard against those who say, okay, I know Jesus, I have grace, and so now I can do whatever the heck I want to do. I can live however I want to live, and it doesn't matter because I got grace, I got Jesus. And he's saying that's not true. Um, If you notice 
in this, in this passage, um, there's, the, the verbs are in, are in present tense. And he, he says, reading from the ESV, he uses the word practice, practicing, practiced. Uh, it pops up six times in this passage. And he also uses the phrase, keep on sinning three times. And so kind of the idea here is, um, one commentator says that it's, it's a settled habit or a settled character of sin. So kind of, it's kind of the idea of, of a lifestyle of willful, habitual, just embracing sin. Is he saying that's, that's not, that doesn't fit with, with uh, who we are in God. He's saying that when you're born of God and you have God's seed in you, you have a different nature with different loves and desires. And he goes on to say that several specific ways that living a lifestyle of sin goes against all that, that God is, that God has done, and, and uh, that, who we are. He says in, in 1 John 3 verse 4, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. So practicing sin goes against the law of God. Also, it goes against the mission of, of Jesus in coming to earth. 1 John 3, 5, you know that he appeared, Jesus appeared in order to take away sins. And in him there's no sin. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Also, a lifestyle of sin goes against the very fact that God has made us born again. Verse 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. And this is not something that's just unique to, to John. This is really all over the, the Scripture. In fact, I, I didn't know that, that, uh, that Chris was going to say earlier today about the story of John 8. Where, that's one of my favorite stories where John talks to the, to the woman caught in adultery and he says, um, you know, I, don't, I don't condemn you, now go sin no more. But Paul, John is not the only one that says this. Paul says something very similar in Romans 6, and I think that actually the, the way that the message puts it, Eugene Peterson in the message is very, very compelling. He says this, <clears throat> Romans chapter 6, 1 through 3 in the message. So what do we do? Keep on sinning so God can keep on forgiving? I should hope not. If we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Or didn't you realize we packed up and we left there for good? That is what happened in baptism. When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind. When we came up out of the water, we entered into the new country of grace. A new life in a new land. And I, I love that language. We, we moved out of the land where sin is sovereign. And we live in the country of grace. <clears throat> um, earlier this summer... Andy and I, we, we moved. Um, we used to live at a little apartment just like five minutes from, from the church. Um, but we moved to a house in, in Pelham. And uh, so that, that's been great. We're, we're actually having the, the youth group over on Saturday night, and we, we're excited for that. Um, but imagine if one day I got in my car and drove to, to my old apartment. And I parked my car, went up to the front door where our, our apartment was, knocked on the front door, and said, hey, can I come in? I my name's Scott. Um, I, I live here. Now, I'd probably get the cops called on me. Um, but we, we know that's just, that's absurd. Because I don't live there anymore. My family doesn't live there anymore. So it makes no sense for me to try to go back and live where I've moved out of. And that's the point 
that, that Paul is making, that John is making. We have moved out. God has moved us out of the country of sin and into the, the land of grace. He's saying that you cannot encounter. We, we talk a lot about the love of God and wanting to encounter the love of God. And that's, I believe that's, that's the key. Um, but you can't have an encounter with the love of God and not walk away diff- not different. If someone says, if, if someone were to say something like, well, I have so much encounter with the love of God um, that I don't really have to worry about what I do. And to me, because I have so much encounter with the love of God, obedience just, it sounds like legalism to me. I think John would probably say someone, to say to someone like that, your encounter with the love of God is probably not as authentic as what, as what you think it is. Because if it was, you would walk away different. And also with that, John is saying, remember, he, John is not saying that we no longer sin. He's not saying that we're perfect. We're not, we're not sinless. But he's saying that you don't have to face sin. You don't have to fight sin in your life alone because you are in relationship with the one who came to take away sin you don't have to face the attacks of the enemy alone you can't you are in relationship with the one who came to destroy the works of the enemy so that should be hope and confidence not only for the future but for for now and encountering the love of god is um, again, it, it's, it's much more than, than getting a warm, tingly feeling in worship. And I, I'm, I'm not speaking against that at all. Um, praise God if, for enca- intimate encounters with Him in worship. But John is saying that those intimate encounters with the, with the Father's love in worship, that should lead to, to something different when we go outside. It's, it doesn't just end. We're not just children of God when we're, when we're singing worship songs. We're children of God when we go out into the world. So wrapping up, now if you're, if, if you're, if you're like me, um, and probably like most people, you probably would see a passage like this, and your reaction, your first reaction is going to be, well, I can think of five sins that I did just the last two days. I can think of something I did last week that really wasn't evidence of, of the Father's love in me. And so I, I guess I needed to start trying harder to to practice righteousness and to not practice, not practice sin. But if, if that's our reaction to, to a passage like this, then I think John would say, you've missed my point. You, you've, you've missed it. Yes, we are to be active. We're not to just sit around and do nothing, but go back to points one and two. We are to be actively captivated, staying actively captivated by the Father's love, staying actively, confidently focused, on our final destination, and then the holiness, the, the practicing of righteousness is going to come out naturally. And that's the life of actively growing in grace and in love. Dallas Willard says this. This is probably my favorite quote from, from Dallas Willard. He says, Grace is opposed to earning, not to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. You can't earn anything when you live in the land of grace. But it's not a life of doing nothing. It's an active life of, of interacting with the love of the Father. So as we move out into the world, 
knowing who we are, knowing the Father's love, staying confidently focused on our final destination, our final goal, our end goal. We're going to live a life of of holiness. We're going to live a life of purity. We're going to live a life of, of love with a different focus. Knowing who you are and knowing where you are headed will affect here and now. Father, um, God, we thank you. Thank you that we can even call you Father. I know for me, I kind of just throw that word around a lot. Um, but Lord, I pray that we would be captivated by the love of our Father. I pray that we would, that if, if anyone here does not know you as Father, that they would realize that they, it's, impossible to not, it's impossible to know you apart from Jesus, your Son, and that they would come into relationship with Jesus. I pray that our, we would not be overwhelmed by the million things going on in our lives, that all the goals that we're trying to accomplish, but that we would keep our eyes confidently focused on our final destination. And I pray that, that we would know that our actions do matter, that what we do does matter, and that we would go out in confidence, knowing who we are, knowing where we're headed, and that in, in that, that we would love each other as, as you love us. Thank you, Father God. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Well, we are going to transition to a time of offering. But before we do that, um, many of you know Meredith Fitch suffered a stroke over seven months ago, I think. And Meredith is back.